been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we want to talk to you about this topic today, impartial, <laughs> impartial. You may be seated in the presence of God. God, I pray today that you show us ourselves, show us the things that are hidden in us that we might not see. Lord, not that we be condemned, but that we be better, that we grow, that you can show us the, how to become more like you in Jesus name. Amen. That's a word we don't use much more in today's world partial there's a play on those words it says impartial but as you can see on the screen it says something else i'm partial because most of us tend to think of everybody else's faults but i what own we can tend to see everybody else's things but i what own jesus says it's amazing that you can see a speck in your brother's eye but you miss the what beam in your own and so james is talking to the church as large and he's talking about partiality partiality is an unfair bias or favor in other words somebody unfairly compares somebody to or something to something else we can call it favoritism uh, we have other words from it from which partiality springs and we'll get into that in a second but james i like james because james is an apostle he's the brother of jesus he didn't believe in jesus's ministry until after jesus was dead buried and raised from the grave as a matter of fact james was in the crew more than likely when mary came out and they thought jesus had lost his mind talking about he's the son of god and they said your mothers and your brothers are outside they want to talk to you they want to pull you out of here while you're embarrassing yourself and jesus says who is my mother and my father and my brothers but he that does the will of my father James was not a fan he loved his brother but he wasn't a fan of what his brother was doing because he could not yet see that his brother was the son of God but James as he sees the resurrection begins to believe and James begins to talk to the church at Jerusalem James becomes a leader at the church in Jerusalem so when we look at this we must keep in our mind James is not talking to sinners a lot of times we get in our holy and sanctified mind that sin only is accomplished by the sinner, but a lot of sin that needs to be dealt with is in the church. For all have what? Sin and come short of the glory of God. And James wants to deal with something that's going on in the church then. And James, I like him because sometimes we can get a little bit academic in our in, in our study of the word. We, we have a lot of knowledge in our head about the word, but the practical kind of goes out of the window. That's why I like James because James consistently tells us not just to hear the word, but to do what it says. And he says how to practice it. And if you practice it and you mess up, how to get back in line. And James is talking today about partiality and favoritism and he says this uh, that I, I say this rather that head movement head knowledge is ineffective without foot movement what do I mean it doesn't matter that you know the Bible but you can't love people it doesn't matter if you know the Bible but you're talking about people behind their backs and hanging their name out on the highway and you can tell everything they did but you can't tell none of the stuff that you did if you can't say amen say what ouch because he's saying it doesn't matter how well you know the word if you can't live the word. And that doesn't mean that we have, we talked about that last week, that we don't expect perfection, but we perfect, expect what? Progress. We expect to consistently be getting better. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is without fault. Nobody is without error. But we do continue to have the mindset that we want to continue to be better in Christ. And if we're going to be like James is calling us, we need to mobilize and activate our faith. That means we must deal with issues in every area of our life that might hinder 
hinder us from God's best in our life? Do you know that you can be saved but still not have the best for you that God has to offer because there are some things in your life that are keeping those things away? Long ago when I was teaching Sunday school, about 20 years ago, I read a line and I never forgot that line. It said, we sometimes can will not be punished for our sins, but we can be punished by our sins. In other words, that your body is a temple and if you don't take care of your body, you might be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, there are some medical effects that may you may have to pay the price for because although you may be covered for your sins, sometimes your sins have residual effects in the natural realm. And James is trying to let us know that we need to get rid of something called partiality. What is partiality? It's a word we may not use in our everyday vocabulary today, but however, it's a word that we often see in the world today. It's unfair bias in favoring one person over another. Favoritism. In a sense, it's a us against them mentality. And because we don't call it that, we don't recognize it that way. It's a mentality that's not healthy and it creates false stereotypes and causes us to judge the book before we read the pages. Like Wednesday night when we were talking in Bible study, it was amazing and the Lord dropped in my heart. It's amazing how much we judge a book before we read the pages. You got to read what's on the inside. We judge books by its cover. We look at one thing somebody's done and we paint their whole life based off of that. And we really don't know who they are at all. We look at TV and we judge celebrities. We judge politicians looking at one of their mistakes or what they've done. We really don't know them at all. But we need to learn that before you judge a book, read the pages because what you see might not be what God sees. I can't see how God favors that person that I don't like him because God got eyes that you don't have. He can see things that you cannot see. And today, as James deals with par partiality, it's important for us to get partiality out of our lives because these men mindsets and mentalities should not be in the church. So James wants to make us aware so we can see those things. And when we see them, they get we get them out of the church. It is an us against them mentality. Everybody say us against them. We see it in the church. Saint against Sinner. Democrat against. Mm, we got quiet. I say it again because I think I just hit some partiality in the building. Democrat against. Don't you know it's Democrats going to heaven and it's Republicans going to heaven? But we get quiet because we have partiality in the church. We try to hold people to our standards. Partiality shows up and this is a big one. It's called racism. Thinking one class of people is different than another class because of the color of their skin. I'm so glad that we have such a diverse church. I'm so glad that we saw white kids and black kids and Filipino kids from white and black and Asian. And I'm looking for all of them. Why? Because that's what heaven will look like. And that's what I want this church to look like. That everybody loves everybody. Not just racism, but classism. Robin and I, I took Robin to another place last night in an undisclosed location for date night. And we were out there and, and, and I noticed we had to sit for about an hour and a half to eat. And we were in a very affluent area. And I said, Robin, notice how many times these certain cars come by. They were in Bentleys and they were in Escalades and they were in Mercedes. It looked like we were back home in Madison. And they were doing all this other stuff and they were going back and they would rev their engines. Why? Because they wanted 
want people to see I'm special because I can afford a special car. They wasn't going anywhere in particular. We sat that hour. One guy came through five or six times, never stopped. He's just cruising so people can see his car. In other words, to say, what I have makes me better than Sometimes we do it by age. We we decide that we want to throw away old people or we want to ignore young people instead of learning how to learn from each other. James and Timothy said that the old should teach the young. There shouldn't be a war in the church, but there should be a collaboration in the church that the young people need to know when to step up and the older people need to know when to step back in God. The Bible said that the younger for war and the old is for counsel, but churches are broken. Why? Because old, young people don't know when to step up and, and old people don't know when to step back partiality young people leave because they don't want to follow leadership and mentorship of older people old people get mad because their songs aren't being sung the way they used to sing them well this is a different time it's okay i'm glad we sing all sorts of different songs but partiality is in the church because we put our personal preferences and our personal likes on god and when you know some of us will even get bold enough to say that god is in a particular type of music as if our music was the only music that was made but guess what i know something that in jesus's day they didn't have gospel rap they didn't have southern gospel and they didn't have cc and cc so whatever your music is, it's not God in that music. It's just that you like that particular type of music and it ministers to you. But if you don't realize that, you'll start putting your likes on everybody else and people will be bound and you'll put them under judgment and under law and condemnation and say, I can't, I can't get with that gospel rap. God ain't working in that. Do you not know that there is some gospel rap that we play Sunday that is more theologically sound than some of the stuff that we sing in old school Southern gospel? But what happens? in we get our personal preferences in the way and we start to become judgmental we judge the book before we read the pages we don't go over and say excuse me young man i can't understand and i i'm don't don't think i'm judging you because i'm in that crew now i used to be able to hear the rap song and i would laugh at the older people because that i couldn't under they were like of course, I know they can hear that bone thugs and harmony. I know they can understand what they're saying. But now I become that guy. I hear the music and I say, what is he saying again? <laughs> but rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater, I don't seek to be understood, but I seek to understand because God is ministering to a different generation in a different way. And the way to have a healthy church is when you learn to get partiality and favoritism and always having to have your favorite song or the way your program works in the church. And when we work together, when we fight gender, men against women, I, I had somebody ask me that not too long ago. In this church, women are respected. Women are loved. Women work. There is no men against women. There is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. But all of us have spiritual work in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have different roles. Men and, and women have different roles. We're built differently psychologically and biologically. We're different. We handle different things. I'm not going to ask Robin to come up here and pick up these tables and put them down. She's shaking her head. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask my deacons in the back to do that. But at the same time, I'm not going to ask my fellas to cook breakfast because most of them, well, <laughs> there are some guys that can cook but guess what at the same time we have to realize that if we're not careful we will let our own personal preferences seep into the church now not all discrimination is bad everybody say that with me not all discrimination is bad 
See, discrimination simply means to single out and to separate. Why is it not bad? Because there is a righteous or a right discrimination. We need to be able to discern good from evil. We need to be able to start discern right from wrong. We need to be able to discern healthy versus non-healthy. There is a certain thing such as righteous judgment, but there is a discrimination that comes with less than pure motives and standards by which we judge things. And that's generally how we judge things in the world. Guys, can you put that power principle up on the screen? I want us to read that together because this kind of sums up the rest of the sermon. Everybody, uh, let's read that together. What does it say? Righteous judgment uses God's standard. Self-righteous judgment uses our own. There is a righteous judgment. There is. I know we live in a time of relativism, but there is right or wrong. But we got to be careful of who we're using for righteous standard. There is a holy indignation. There is a righteous standard that God has set. And we must try as much as we can to meet that. But at the same time, there is a standard that we set for our own righteousness that's set by us. See, the problem is often we can become self-righteous or righteousness or acceptability can be judged as a standard that we have chosen. You're only acceptable if you meet my standard. But the problem with that is generally we always make the standard right. Well, if we live in here, we make the standard here so we can talk about everybody else that's down here. If we're not a fornicator, we'll make the standard here. But what about gossip and liars that's here? We don't talk about them. We just want to talk about the people that ain't that's doing what we're not doing. And what we have done is we've done a self-righteous judgment. We have made an assessment judging people. And Jesus put it this way: you're taking a beam out of somebody, mote out of somebody else's eye while you got a beam in yours. You judge people for their sins and cover your own. But one day God will expose them all. God doesn't want us to have self-righteousness in the church. He wants us to have righteousness. We are the righteousness of God through faith in the blood of Christ Jesus. God has made us righteous. God stand up said, none of y'all are good enough to make it. I have to make my own standard. I'm going to have to die for you because you're not good enough. You can't do it. I've got a different standard. The problem with that is just because they don't meet our standards does not mean that they don't meet God's. If anything you've learned in these weeks that we've been going through Genesis, we have seen some very dysfunctional people. We've seen a man sell his wife twice and they call him the father of faith. We've seen a man who, who, who actually gets taken advantage of by his own daughters and, 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 and things of that way and was always getting into trouble. But when you look over in the Old Testament, they call him a man of righteousness. Why is that? Because God sees things that we don't see. We won't get into it today, but even if you went down further in the Old Testament, you'll see a guy. He was a peeping Tom. He, he, was, a, he was an adulterer. He was actually a conspiracy to commit murder. We call him David. He did a lot of dirty, raunchy things. But guess what? The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. 
That's not condoning what he did. But when David did something, the reason God liked David, David said, search me and know me, oh God. I messed up, but I don't want to stay messed up. And that's what God is looking at. And he said, see if there be any unclean thing in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from your presence, oh God. Is there anybody in here that can say, I'm not right, but I'm righteous? Hallelujah. I got some issues and I got some hang up but because of the blood of Jesus I want to be more like God and I may get some things wrong but thank God his blood has made me righteous <laughs> James is telling us showing favoritism is a behavior that is par for the course in the world but it should not be a behavior of people that are in the church that should not be in the church in the church there should be love and unity there should not be things that divide but there should be things that bring us together in the church you should see old people talking with young people and all sorts of people talking with all sorts of different people trying to learn because there are some things that the seniors have by way of experience that us young people need to grab a hold of there's some wisdom that they have what we call in the south bought lessons they bought those lessons so why buy a lesson when somebody else is bought it why don't you borrow it from somebody that's been there before because every now and then they can see stuff have you ever gotten to the age now that you can see stuff and you see people do stuff and you used to do that same thing you say i wouldn't do that if i were you and, and you because you know where that's going to end up we can use that experience to bless one another. When partiality leaves the church and leaves the world, we have unity in the church. Well, this, this is important for us. This does not mean that we put people in positions that they're not well suited for, but it does mean that our much motivation should go farther than meets the eye. Pull up Luke 12 and 15. We're going we're gonna to read that because some of us will, will cozy up to people just because of what they have. But what did Jesus say about it? It says this, then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possession. I, I dare to say we have all sorts of people from all socioeconomic status. There's some that are barely getting by and some that have way more than they need. But guess what? God feeds the sparrow and he loves each one of them just the same. But sometimes we don't follow that advice. We size people up by their education and by their title and by how many zeros are on their paycheck. When Jesus tells us what it good is it for a man to profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul. So this morning, I want to do a reassessment of what matters, how we treat one another, because what Jesus is trying to tell us is how we treat one another matters. He said that if you don't forgive your brother your sin, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. That's a strong statement. You know what forgive means? If you look in the Amplified version, I like it. Everybody said, let it go. If you got to bring it up every time you've seen them, you have not what? Let it go. If every time you think about it, it makes you mad, you haven't what? Let it go. And if you don't let it go, you got some stuff on your account that God's not going to let go. So it's important that my spiritual pastor used to say, and my spiritual father, you got to learn to love people and have a free heart and let stuff go and be able to move forward because you don't want to let other people take you to hell. This is how Jesus is letting us know how we view and treat one another matters. He tells his disciples, you want to know 
How men will know you, my disciples? You don't need a fancy hat. You don't need a shepherd's crook. You don't need an expensive robe. You don't need smoke going forth. You don't need a scepter. You don't need a bishop's smock. You don't need none of that. You don't need to be called apostle, deacon, master, prophet, none of that. He said, the people want to know that you are my disciples. They will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. When people come here that haven't been here, the first thing they always tell me, it's so loving in this church. Some people came to visit for Good Friday services. Every time I come here, there's a free spirit in this place. Why? There's no division. There's love and there's unity. We all on the same page, headed to the same place, serving the same God. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and in all and through all. We are unified in Christ Jesus. But if we're not careful, partiality can marginalize and wound and divide, and it can have damaging impacts on those who feel left out. Some people are still bitter that mama paid more attention to you than she did to me. People still can't get over things like that in their life. If we show partiality, partiality is sin. And sometimes you do favor other children over the others. Some child will give you more trouble than the other child, and you tend to reward that other child. You say, I can let them go, but I got to stay on top of this one. And sometimes you're overbearing. And that creates partiality and division. How do you know? It has, everybody says it has generational effects. When we don't address unfair bias, it can end up causing us problems down the line in our family tree. Let's go to Genesis 25, 27 through 28. Let's see what it says. It says, the boys grew up, read with me, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home with the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I love the personalities of my children. Some of my children are just like me, the spitting image of me. And when I get mad at them, I have to look and say, that's myself and that's what my mom went through. So I have to deal with that. Some of them have some of Robin's personality. And if I'm not careful, I try to make them be more like me. But then I'll give the message that what you are is not good enough. So sometimes I have to be careful. If you don't like to do this and this one does, guess what? I have to be careful because I don't want to show favoritism or partiality. I want to give them the message that you are special how God made you and you are good enough alone. But we see this and it had generational effects because Jacob and, and, Jacob and Esau are pit against each other and most of it is due to their parents. One favors one child and one favors the other. And no doubt across their life, so they come and say, you know, you favor him over me. Boy, get out of here. We're not trying to hear that. We love all of you the same. Same lie we always tell as parents. But, but at the same time, sometimes if we're not careful and cognizant, we will treat others differently. In blended families, you hear this all the time. You treat your children different than you treat out partiality we'll see how far this partiality goes pull up genesis 27 6 through 10 we're going to keep on moving because i want you to see the effects of what happens not only did jacob swindle his brother out of his birthright it's one thing for a sibling to turn on a sibling but it's a different thing for a parent to turn on a child 
Let's read it together. What does it say? Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me to your choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father so that he may give you his blessings before he die. She conspired with her son to steal from the other one. To steal what rightly belonged. And we're not going to get too far in the story. Go back and read it for a second time. But she went so far as to steal her son's clothes and put them on the other one. Because the father had bad eyesight. So when he pulled him close to him, he could smell him and it would smell like his son. She went so far as to take the lambs that they cut up and cut them into little pieces. Because Esau was hairy and tie the pieces of lamb to his hands and to the back of his neck. So when his blind, unsuspecting father reached to grab him, he said, I hear Jacob's voice, but I smell and see Esau. And when he brought him close to him, he could feel the hair on the back of his neck. His own mother did him in. Partiality. Treating one child better than the other. But it has generational effects. You know how I know? Because just how Jacob was favored, just how Jacob's mother did him, let's pull up and see what he does with his kids. Let's go to Genesis chapter three, 37 verse 3 through 4 and let's read it real quick. Let's see if this leads from the generation. Let's see if J uh, Jacob learns from what he did to his brother. Let's see what it says. Let's read. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. He did not learn from the first mistake and if you don't correct your mistakes, they can become generational problems for your children. Some of us are with issues that started three generations before us and if we're not bold enough to stop it it'll continue three generations after us but I've come to tell you I don't know about you but every curse everything and problem that came down through our generation it stops with me it will not go to my children Sometimes I just so my kids won't idolize me, I tell them, you know, dad is imperfect. But when I tell you something, I always want you to make Jesus the standard because daddy will fail you. But Jesus will not. Don't look well. And, and daddy's going to do some good and mama's going to do some good. And daddy's going to do some bad and mama's going to do some bad. Take the good you can from us and throw out the bad and realize like I realize now about my mama after I've kept living like she told me that they're just doing the best they can, trying to serve God the best way they can. Sometimes they're high, sometimes they're low, sometimes they have successes, sometimes they're in the pits with failure, but they're faithful to God. And what I'm trying to teach my kids, you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to do some dumb stuff. But when you do it, don't fall in it. Get back up and stay close to God. Keep God as the standard. Don't judge yourself by other people. This behavior continues in families, tribes, and social circles today. We need to be careful the message we send about how we treat others. <coughs> how many families have been broken up with long-standing scars because of favoritism? More funerals have broke up families 
than anything else I could ever think. Favoritism. They left you this and didn't leave me this. They left you this and you didn't do what I thought should be done with it. I found out that I'm not your only set of kids. But you didn't live with us, but you married them. You married their mother and stayed with them. There are people that are bitter about things like that and they can't let it go. And then I found out to funerals. Funerals are the place for most dysfunction and drama. Why? Because we show favoritism. And we do things to divide. And when it comes to a head, now you have people that haven't spoken to siblings in years. Haven't spoken to family in years. Because of partiality. Because they didn't meet your self-righteous standard. If God loves them, who are you to judge them? All our righteousness is but filthy rags. If God is favoring them, who are you to curse them? He told Abraham, I tell you how this works, Abraham. I will bless those who bless you because you have my favor. And I will curse those who curse you because you have my favor. You better be careful who you put your mouth on. You better be careful who you put your heart on. Because God may favor them and you may hurt yourself trying to hurt them. Because they said, Lord, when did we do these things to you? He said, when you did it to the least of mine, you did it also to me. You were judging by your standard. But I was judging. Judging by mine. How do we keep this favoritism and things out of our pages? I give you two things. You've already heard one of them. Leave that unpartial up on the screen. You can take it off the social media screen. If it's up, everybody say, remember to read the pages. Before you judge somebody. Learn them. Before you turn away from somebody because they believe different politically or socially than you, talk to them. See where they're coming from. Because you, before you judge somebody because they've done something to hurt you, that doesn't mean you put yourself in a position to be hurt again. But before you judge them and just run off at the mouth and try to destroy them because they hurt you, try talking to them and see what happens without going off and telling your own version. Because the half truth is the whole lie. Read, everybody said, read the pages. See it with me. Read the pages. There's always more than meets the eye. And the last thing I'm going to leave you to today, remember that mercy wins. Bring up James 2, 1 through 13. We're not going to read all that. James 2 and 13, rather. Somebody got scared. They said, I thought I was almost gone. He said, 1 through 13. James 2 and 13. What does it say? Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Don't tell me how saved you are if you have no mercy in your heart. I often have told people all my life, remember, some people will say, you let people do you any kind of way. You let people do all sorts of stuff to you and you let it go. And I would be bitter about that. And I would simply tell them this. I've learned this and this is my, my life moniker. The mercy you give may be the mercy you need. People do you bad and you don't respond. Well, I'm going to live and I'm going to do somebody bad one day. And the mercy I give may be the mercy I 
Because you're not going to live so perfect that you're not going to offend somebody, either knowingly or unknowingly. You're not going to live so perfect that you don't make mistakes. And just remember, the mercy you give may be the mercy you need. And if you don't show mercy, when you come back, God's not going to show you mercy. How do I know? Because Jesus tells a parable. Good God Almighty. He tells a parable of a man that owed a few dollars and, 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 and that owed millions of dollars. And, and his boss let him go. He said that I let you go with that. And then he went to somebody who owed him a little measly amount. And he choked that man and he threw him in, into the debtor's prison. And this is what Jesus said when the guy who had forgiven his debt realized what he had done. He went in, took him and threw him into prison forever where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we know where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a word we don't like to say. But what Jesus is saying, if you don't live a life of mercy and you don't live a life of forgiveness, how dare you expect forgiveness and mercy from me and you won't give it to somebody else. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of mercy. How do you know? Last verse, and then we'll stand. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We're getting the word today, y'all. Is this helping you? Micah 6 and 8. What does it say? If they don't have it on the screen, I'll just read it. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this. Oh, they have it. Let's read it together. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Stop. He's saying you don't have an excuse. When you get to heaven, you don't have an excuse. When you get to the gates and you want to come in and you just couldn't get over what that person did to you and you hated them in your heart and people saw you look holy on the outside and, and, and God says, go away to a place and weep in the national teeth. I don't know you, but I, I look good on the outside. But no, you don't have an excuse because I've shown you. What is good? How did I show you? Because I sent my son when you didn't deserve it to die for you. I showed you what mercy looks like. I'm reminded of a story of a young lady. I believe she was a cook for Napoleon and her son had deserted. He had deserted the army and the punishment was death. And Napoleon let her go. They let him go the first time. But the young man deserted again and Napoleon was going to have him executed. And she ran to him and she said, uh, <coughs> Napoleon. Emperor, do me a favor. Will you please spare my son? And he looked at her and said, your son is a traitor and he doesn't deserve to have, have, a, have, have be spared. She said, sir, I plead mercy. He said, your son doesn't deserve mercy. She looked him squarely in the eye and said, if, it, if he deserved it, then it wouldn't be mercy. Aren't you glad that Jesus showed you some mercy? Pull back up Micah 6 and 8 so we can finish it. We're almost ready to saying. He, let's read it together. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. Leave that on the screen. You can take it off the social media if you want. But I want you to see that. Most self-righteous people stop and act justly. They want justice. Rules for thee and not for me. But they don't want mercy. Matter of fact, they're so wicked, they get mad when mercy is shown. Because they're self-righteous. Those are those people that Jesus saw with a woman strewn out in the middle of the street. Telling Jesus, we found her caught in the very act. And Jesus, without saying, 
Well, how did you catch her if you weren't there? Or Jesus exposing them and saying, your hearts are wicked. You don't care about justice. You just care about hanging this poor lady to get to me. You'll hurt whoever you got to hurt to get to me. That's what Jesus is saying. But I'm going to fix you today. He looks back and he says, let he who is without sin cast the what? First stone. Don't you know they all dropped their stones? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't condone the sin. He said, go and sin no more. But your accusers are gone because they're just as bad as you, baby. Don't do it again. I might not be here to save you the next time. But I'm showing you what mercy looks like. Not only in the body of Christ should we know how to walk and act justly, but we need to love mercy and to walk humbly. If a brother is overtaken in the fault, let ye which are spiritual restore that brother. With a spirit of meekness, thinking of yourself, lest you also fall. Why am I thinking of this? Because of self-righteousness. And this is why James says self-righteousness and partiality cannot be in the church. When you have self-righteousness in the church, it is not a church. It is a social club and a popularity contest. And when I don't get the judgment I want, I take my ball and go home. I take my ties and go home. I run from place to place and I take everybody from the church I can. Why? Because I'm self-righteous. But we should love mercy. All of us in this place have been wronged. All of us have personal preferences and likes. Pull up that impartial screen, the impartial. Pull up the title screen. You mean impartial? Yes. There's some of it in you. There's some of it in all of us. And what James is trying to say is, I want to help you. I want to get that out of your life today. I want to get rid of your unfair biases. I want to get rid of your stereotypes and your judgmental acts towards people in their acts. I want you to consider yourselves because I love you. And you'll never be the person you're called to be while you're looking down on anybody else. If you're looking down on anybody, it should sincerely be to pick them up. But that's what our Lord did for us. Can you imagine that woman on the street and Jesus reaching down to her and all of her shame, picking her up, saying, where are your accusers? I'm partial. You mean I, I have biases and preconceived notions and prejudice? Yes, you have prejudice. It just comes from the words pre and Judas, which means to prejudge, to judge before you read the pages. But God is calling us to a higher standard. So we can go from I'm partial to impartial. Let's stand. If this has been a blessing to you, give God a hand clap of praise. In the so glad to see you today. All my father's children. Let's go to God in prayer. If you don't know Jesus and you're looking at me through that camera right now, today's a fine time to know him. One of the best emails or responses we can get is somebody giving their life to Christ. If you're in that chat room and it blessed you, say it blessed me. We read those chats afterward. We're so blessed by all the people that respond. That's part of our family and we love you. But if you're in that chat room and you don't know Jesus today, don't you click off of this feed until you make him your Lord and your Savior. If you're in this room and you don't know him, or you have something you need to get rid of, you can do it today.
Now, I'm going to ask you to do something, and you don't have to do it. It's just free will in here. We don't make people do stuff. But if you know you've got some things in, in, your, in your heart that you need to give to God, just slip your hand up to heaven. All of our heads will be bowed and eyes closed. Mine are so we can't see. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, that we're giving you all of us. Thank you for searching us and knowing us, God. And we come before you transparent and open, God, because you know everything anyway. And we want to give you the things that are in our heart that are not like you. God, we want to have hearts of mercy and not be partial. We we don't want to be self-righteous in our judgments of people. We don't want to put some people up above other people because they met our standard. But God, let us judge other people by your standard, not by our own. And thank you. God, by, for judging us by your standard, for your grace and your mercy. And I pray that the love you give, God, will help us to love others. We thank you for it. And I pray your blessing on everybody who's under the sound of my voice, be there on audio waves or be there in this room. Cover them, keep them, God, in your care. If they're your children, God, bless them, Lord, abundantly. Love them and touch them if they need a healing. If they, whatever they need, give it to them, God, because you have called for unity in your body. And we love all, God. Regardless, if they think different from us or act different from us, Lord God, they're your children. If they know you, you work those things out. It's not ours to determine. We give you praise and we give you thanks for all that you're doing. Save a soul for somebody that's dying. I ask and pray in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise.